me to the book of uh, 1 Timothy, please. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, Lord willing, we'll finish up, um, finish up verses 1 through 7 this evening. Um, I know we started there, uh, I think, two weeks ago, and uh, Lord willing, we'll, uh, we'll complete our, our journey um, there this, uh, this evening. So, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're physically able to do so, I do invite you to stand one more time with me as we honor the reading of God's holy and written word. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Hear the word of the Lord given to us tonight. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is a good and acceptable in sight of God, our, of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Wherefore, I, I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. I will, therefore, that, um, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let's pray together. Father, um, thank you for your, for your word now. We pray that we would hear it. We pray we would submit to it. We pray that we would do um, what you have called us to do, which is to learn and to grow from it and in it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, um, <clears throat> last, uh, a couple of weeks ago, about two weeks ago, we started looking at this passage of Scripture and we, talk, we, were, we are talking about prayer and God's desire and ultimately the mediatorial work of Christ in, in the work of prayer. And uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago here in chapter 2 in verse 1, we, we talked about the importance of understanding prayer and the importance of knowing what exactly it is we're doing in prayer. And we talked about uh, the varieties of the, the, the prayers Paul mentions here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. We talked about how God commands us to pray for our leaders and those who are in authority over us, uh, that we are to uh, pray for ultimately that, that we would, uh, though they may not be godly, that they would pass godly laws and allow us to live quiet and peace-filled lives, that, uh, that the gospel of Jesus would be able to go forward. And then in verse 3, we looked at how prayer is, is pleasing to God. We said that prayer is honoring to God and is pleasing to God. And we said that uh, this, was, uh, this was in keeping with God's desire to save sinners. God loves to save sinners. God, uh, Jesus died for sinners. And we, as we said this, as we talked about this morning, that uh, while we were yet enemies, it was Christ who died for us. And we rejoice in that. And then we said that it was um, um, after God's desire or after God uh, was uh, working and moving in salvation to uh, save sinners, we, we, we now come to the uh, to the next uh, part of, of our understanding here, uh, which is in verse 5, which is actually the, the, a key to what we're, what we're talking about here in Christ's role as a mediator, uh, that we don't need another mediator. There is no other mediator that is necessary. 
Paul, would, Paul phrases it like this in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And so as we think of Christ's unique role as mediator, we think of him being the, the unique and exclusive role that God the Father has given to Jesus the Son. That is that Jesus is uniquely able to fulfill this role. That is that Jesus, who is, who is uniquely divine and human, um, he is described in Scripture as both uh, the man Christ Jesus and the divine Son of God. That this is the one who God the Father has rightly um, des- designated as our mediator and, and holds that mediatorial role for us. That is that we don't need a, a priest. We don't need someone who is going to go to God on our behalf for us. Um, we, we don't need someone on this earth. We don't need a, a pastor or a deacon or something like that. We Certainly it's nice to have our pastors and our deacons to pray for us and our brothers and sisters in Christ to pray for us. But we have one mediator, and that is Christ Jesus. It is, it is the, the, the God-man, the Son of God, the, uh, the, the, um, the one who has died in our place, so that he who has exclusive access to the Father is able to grant us that access. He is able to, by his grace, <coughs> he, is, he is able to <coughs> bring us to the Father and make peace, unlike other intermediate, intermediaries throughout human history in the priests, uh, particularly in the Old Testament, who could, <coughs> not, uh, could not ultimately do anything uh, to, to take away our, our sins or to offer any type of sacrifices who ultimately took away our sins. As the writer of Hebrews tells us very clearly, right, that, that it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats that could take away our sin. And so it is Christ who had the exclusive access to the Father. He is the one that John tells us who came from the Father's side. He is the one that has come. He is the one who is able to be our go-between, our arbiter, our mediator between us and the Father. And he's the only one that we need. We don't need other arbiters. We don't need other mediators to as, act as go-betweens. He is because he is the perfect mediator. Anything, any, any other mediator would be, would be so far lower than Christ. Because through his sacrifice on the cross, Christ provides the means, not only for our forgiveness of sins, certainly for that, and the removal of our sins, and, but, but also for our reconciliation with the Father, so that as we go to the Father in prayer, we don't meet a frowning Father. We don't meet a reluctant mediator. We meet one who is more than willing and rejoices in our coming to him, so that he may grant us our every need. And this is true for Christ. Uh, Paul talks about him here, right? He says, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your religious background. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter um, whether you were raised uh, 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 Jewish or atheist or agnostic or Roman Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or any other thing. That if you, if you ultimately come to faith in Christ, he becomes your mediator. He is the one who is your mediator. 
There are so many people who, uh, you look around the world, and, and, and even, even among lots of religions today, you have lots of different people who claim to speak for God and speak to God on your behalf. But in reality, it is Christ who has shown himself to not only be worthy, but capable of doing this. And so he rejoices in his work of mediation. And Christ's mediation is not one of passivity either, right? It's not a passive role that Christ acts upon. It's an active role. It's a, it's a, it's a work that Christ enjoys. It's a work that Christ loves. So let me say it this way, maybe would be the best way to say this. Even right this moment, you have an advocate with the Father. You have, the me- you have a mediator with the Father. If you are in Christ, you have a mediator. You have an advocate. You have a high priest who is even right this moment beseeching the Father on your behalf. And so the Father rejoices in the work of His Son. The Son in His work. And they rejoice to, to bring about the bring the believers, us believers, into their presence, making continuous inter- Jesus making the continuous intercession for his, uh, for his people. But not only that, I would even add that Christ is, Christ is most certainly our mediator, but we have been given another helper as well, so that the Holy Spirit himself is, 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 actively, uh, he is actively pleading and beseeching uh, the Son and he, we are told in the book of Romans that this is the Spirit's work so that when we don't even know how we should pray that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are actively engaged in pleading on our behalf or the Son and the Spirit, excuse me, are, are in working and in beseeching on our behalf mediating on our behalf, pleading on our behalf and it's interesting because Christ does this because, as I said, he's the only one who's able to do this. He is the one who has reconciled us to the Father, right? Christ's role as the mediator is crucial for reconciling fallen humanity with a holy and righteous God. Like There is no one else that could have reconciled us to the Father. Jesus is the only one who had this role and this task. And the Bible teaches us that because of sin, there's a separation that occurred. That, that is that as God says, I believe through the prophet Isaiah, that your sins have separated you from your God, speaking to Israel. And the truth is, is that as we look back in the book of Genesis, this is why it is so important for us to view Genesis as history. Because if we don't view Genesis as history, then we have no record of where sin came from. We have no record for how the world has been destroyed by sin. We, we, we are only left to guess, but yet through the Word of God, we are given a historical, correct, accurate record of how sin entered into the world and made a separation between us and God and destroyed our relationship with God because of our sin and our wickedness. And it is Christ who bridges the gap through his atoning work on the cross and even now continues that work of redemption on the, uh, before the Father's throne, seated at the Father's throne, I might add. And it's interesting because the writer of Hebrews tells us that it is Jesus who is seated uh, at the Father's right hand that the work of the, at the, of the high priest has been finished and yet he also continues to plead and intercede for us. And we've been separated from our God. We as humanity have been, we have been decimated. Our world has been decimated, destroyed. We are dead in our sins and our trespasses and our world has been, has been fatally flawed 
The Bible tells us that because of our sin, we brought sin upon the rest of the world and that the rest of the world now also groans, waiting, awaiting for the full the fullness of, of that reconciliation to be realized, waiting, pleading that it would, it would quicken and that it would take place quickly. And so we are told that apart from the Lord Jesus Christ, we have... We have a broken relationship between us and God, and yet we are told the good news of Christ's atoning work on the cross that serves as the means and the instrument by which atonement has been brought and has been bought, and that despite our sin, it is the Father through, the joy, through His joy of giving His Son, the Son through His joy of taking upon Himself the cross, and the Spirit's joy of calling believers to faith in Christ we are able to rejoice in Christ's work upon the cross through his, sacrificial life, uh, through his sacrificial death and his sinless life so that we can receive access to God and freedom from our sin. It's through Christ's mediatorial work that believers have this same access. Jesus has, is before the, is, is, as John tells us here, or John tells us in, in John chapter 1, that, that uh, Jesus was in the beginning, the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word uh, was God. And so he was face to face with the Father, and this one who had access, perfect, has act, perfect access to the Father through faith in him and his work on the cross, through his mediatorial work on the cross, we now have access to the Father. And it's an exclusive role that Jesus doesn't share with anyone. Jesus doesn't share this role with anyone. There is no other mediator. This is an exclusive right of Jesus. This is something that he is zealous for and jealous to protect. He is our sole mediator, not only making salvation not only making, not only saving us, but also continuing that work of interceding on our behalf. But as as Paul is writing this to the to the young pastor to the pastor Timothy here in First Timothy chapter two, in in pointing this out, right? We we have to remember that he's not just going through here, just sort of just sort of um, just going from one thought to the next, but he's interconnecting all of these. And so this, this idea of God, that Jesus being our mediator, is connected, is connected with what? With what has gone before, which is what? That God loves to save sinners. That's what he has just finished telling us. And so this sinless, perfect sacrifice the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies, the one in whom the angels in heaven, in all of their glory, look and upon in fascination with the work of Christ. They look at this work. They look at us with, in, with complete fascination that God would do this, that God would, for his glory and the honor of his great name, choose to save these beings who rebelled they didn't get that. We did. And so the fulfillment of prophecy and the promise, all the promises of God in Christ coming true, the angels in all of their glory look on in wonder and amazement at the work of God, longing to look into these things that they don't understand. 
yet we, by God's grace, get to experience. We may not, I mean, let's just be honest, we don't necessarily fully understand it either, but we get to experience it. We get to experience the work of Christ. We get to experience the work of God. We get to know that our Savior is a Savior who is unique in His task, and He is not limited to to a few people who uh, who were um, alive a couple hundred years ago, but is the the mediator of all of His sons and daughters, and He has and we have accessibility through Christ for the glory of the Father in this ongoing work of Christ. But let's look at another reality here. Not only, not only do we see Christ's mediatorial work, but we see the sacrifice of Christ. We say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, look with me here in verse 6. So remember, right, for there's one, med- well, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified or to be witnessed of in due time. And so Paul is very clear here. As we understand prayer, we must understand, as, we, as we're called upon to intercede for in prayers and supplications back in verse 1 and, and intercessions and the giving of thanks, all of these things are possible. We can do these things because of the work of God in Christ. And it's because of not only Christ's mediatorial work, but because of Christ's sacrifice to save sinners, His voluntary sacrifice and a ransom, a ransom for sinners, for people, a ransom that God has in Christ given freely and, and has testified of freely both in the Old and the New Testament, under the Old and the New Covenant. And I think it's, it's interesting for us here that we have, to, we have to ask the question, so it says, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified of in due time? Who is the ransom for all? Does that mean that everybody under the sun gets an opportunity to believe? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I was raised in that. I was raised with everybody under heaven gets at least one opportunity to believe or to reject Jesus. There's only one problem with that. It's called the nations. And not every nation has heard the gospel. Not every people group has heard the gospel. So unless we want to fall into some kind of heresy whereby we say, well, maybe they, if they haven't heard the gospel, then maybe at the, after they're dead, maybe they could, Jesus gives them a chance. Hey, here's the gospel. Do you believe this? Do you not believe this? Which is utter heresy and utter false teaching. So unless we want to fall into that foolishness, we have to ask, well, then what does he mean by that? What does he mean by he gave himself as a ransom for all? Well, what is it that Paul has been talking about? There are only two groups of people Paul has consistently and consistently talks about. Who are they? The Jew and the Gentile. And so when Paul references that Jesus died for all men, he means it. Jew or Gentile. Christ has died for sinners, whether they be Jew or whether they be Gentile. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, Christ's sacrifice on the cross is sufficient to save sinners. Now, I would say to you that there's another reason why 
this passage is not teaching us that Jesus paid Jesus paid the debt for every single person. All they have to do is believe. The problem with that is found in the word ransom. So that means that if this passage is teaching exactly what so many people think it's teaching, that means that nobody goes to hell because Jesus has died for everyone and whether they know it or not. If that's the way we want to go with this. But the problem is, it's not how Paul is using this word because the word ransom means to redeem, to buy out of slavery, to buy out of something, to buy back into something, and to redeem, to ransom them, to pay, to secure the release of something, or in this case, someone. And who is it that Jesus has paid for the ransom? Or has paid the ransom for? Well, it's for all who believe. It's for those who believe in Christ. So if we really are going to say that every man, woman, boy, and girl under, the, under heaven gets to uh, an opportunity to believe, well, then that means we should just become universalists. Everybody goes to heaven. Nobody goes to hell. But since that's not what Jesus teaches, that's not what the apostles taught, it's not what the, what the writers of the New Testament or the Old Testament taught, we have to ask the question, then who are the all? And the all here are whether they be Jew or Gentile. Christ redeems sinners among the nations. And this really digs in some people's crawl. Because then they ask the question, well, that, or they, they don't make, they don't, they don't, people never ask questions. You ever notice that? They just make statements. And here's the statement that goes along with it. That's not fair. If you want fair, we'll all go to hell. You want fair, everybody deserves hell. So let's just be honest. We really don't want fair. What we mean is it doesn't seem to be fair that Jesus doesn't save everybody. But let me ask you this. Is Jesus beholden to save everybody? Now, a lot of people would say, well, sure, he, he, he should. He loves people. To which I would say, well, yeah, amen. Jesus does. God does love sinners. But let me ask you this. Is God so anemic that he can't do what he said he's done? What do you mean, Pastor? We see, this passage, along with all the passages that talk about this, have to be kept in the kept kept in context of the rest of Scripture. You can't just go along ripping out one section of Scripture along with uh, any other, um, from all the other passages of Scripture. So how do we deal with this? Well, keeping it in, keeping it in context with all the other Scriptures. It talks about, Jesus says that he has, uh, he has uh, sheep from other, flock, from, a, from other flocks and he's going to bring them all together and bring them in. And Christ promised to save, to save his people, to, to bring them and redeem them from every tribe and tongue and nationality and people group from among the heavens, or among, I'm sorry, among the, among the earth through the work of Christ. How do we understand this? We understand this, that ultimately it is Christ's redemptive work on the cross on behalf of those who will believe that he does what he does for his glory and his father's glory because you see when it talks about a ransom and redemption here what it's talking about is setting free those who are in bondage it means to actively grant something on someone else's behalf 
Does that mean we don't have to believe? No, we do have to believe. Jesus particularly died for his people. And his work is effective. It's not defective. It's effective. And so when we talk about Christ's eternal work upon the cross, we talk about there being truly one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And if you don't believe in him, you don't get anything. Isn't that what Paul wrote in Romans when he says, how will they hear if a preacher doesn't preach to them? We must, we must be okay with the absolute sovereignty of God and salvation. We must be. Because God is absolutely okay with it. God saves sinners. But he does so particularly and effectively and effectually. And Paul says here in verse 7. He says, Where to? I am ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Now the King James used the, uses the old English word verity, which just means truth. It's, a, it's an old English word that means truth. And Paul is using these words to, to help the the pastor and the church in Ephesus understand understand why it is that he is he has taught Timothy and he is teaching Timothy to teach them and he wants them to understand his calling and his authority and the, the, the work that God has used him to accomplish and the work that God is ultimately calling us to as well. And Paul goes on, he says, this this for this I was appointed a preacher and apostle. Right? Paul is affirming that, that he has been called and set apart for this task. He's been appointed for this task. He has been established by God for this specific task of proclaiming the gospel to sinners. It's amazing because as you look at Paul's life, where was it that Paul started? Paul always went to the Jews. And he always went to the synagogues first. And then ultimately he would be rejected. And so then where he, would he go? He would go to the Gentile halls. He would go to the hall of Tyrannus, or he would go to the halls of, of all kinds of different uh, of different places. He would he would establish uh, uh, meeting places, and he would he would go and he would plant churches as a result. And then churches would meet. By the way, when we speak of house churches in the in the New Testament, they were not set up like our houses today. So you need to keep that in mind. These house churches were set up like much like what we would see in smaller buildings. These were mostly very wealthy people who would have these home, have the church in their home. They would have large assembly rooms that would sit 50 to 60 people easily, if not more, and they would meet together, and they would, they would worship the Lord. 
And so Paul is saying, after establishing the church at Ephesus and many other churches, he is saying, look, this is what God called me to. This is why I've been preaching the gospel, so that whether, whether there are Jew or Gentile, they're going to be saved to the preaching of the gospel. Because God has not only ordained the end, salvation, but also the means, i.e., the preaching of the gospel to meet those ends. And the role of the apostles were unique. We don't have any more of these guys. There are no more apostles today. There doesn't need to be any more apostles. Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians that, that the church was built as, with Christ as the chief cornerstone and the foundation being that of the prophets and the apostles. We don't need any more apostles today. There's no more need for them because God has established and used them for the purposes that he has wanted them for. And now that that is done, there are no more need for apostles. There are now only need for elders and deacons within the local congregation. And so by whose authority then? By whose authority is Paul doing this? Or by whose authority is, is, are we working for the glory of the Father? Well, it's through the Son. It's through the work of the Son, through the authority of the Son. And Paul says, look, I am telling you this because you need to know that I didn't set out to do this on my own. And, and, and the reason he is bringing this ultimately out is this reason, Christian. Because in, in bringing this out, he's not puffing himself up. He's not, he's not saying, oh, look at me. But rather what he is saying is, as, as imperfect as I am, He says, follow my lead. Follow me. He says, I am a model for you and for the other believers at Ephesus. And, and Christian, truthfully, he is a model for us today. Paul is a model for us today. To walk in his model. To walk in, his, in, in what he has shown for us. And not just Paul, but, but, the, other, but, but the Lord Jesus. Has been, we've been given in the, in the Gospels, the first four Gospels. Or in, we've seen the apostles in the book of Acts or uh, Jude or um, Revelation or to the apostle John or any number of, 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 of examples that we've been given. We're to walk like this. We're to walk in this. And we are to, it is, we are to, not only are we to walk as the apostles walk, but then we are to set an example and encourage those believers who come behind us to recognize that they should, we, that as imperfect as we are, they should walk in like us because we are walking in, in the example of the apostles. We are walking in the example that the Lord Jesus has given us. So, how do we apply all of this? Like, this is all really good news, right? Well, I, I, let me say, I think there's a couple of ways for us to apply this passage of Scripture verses 1 through 7. I think first and foremost, there, there is an encouragement, obviously, we've already talked about that two weeks ago. There's an encouragement for us to prioritize prayer, for us to, to plead and to, to intercede and, and to offer supplication for sinners, who, uh, and, and not just sinners who are in leadership, certainly those who are in leadership, but for all people, right? That's what he says here in verse 1, that we, we should offer prayer for all people men or all people, right? all, all, all kinds of uh, those who are in office, those who are not in office, those that we meet, those, that, those that, uh, that are brought to our attention who are in need of prayer, we should prioritize prayer. We should prioritize our praying for people. 
And in doing that, yes, we should include those who are in authority over us, praying that God would grant them to pass good and right and healthful and healthy laws, righteous laws, good laws. And in saying that, what is the point? The point in them passing good and right laws is that you and I can freely preach Jesus. We can freely proclaim Christ. We can freely understand that it is God who has given us the freedoms to be able to go and preach Jesus to sinners. Because God loves to save sinners. And I think in saying this, we need to be reminded, Christian, that there is never a time when your Savior, my Savior, our Savior, is not interceding for us and calling upon the Father to act on our behalf. And the Spirit is not acting on our behalf to plead our cause and our case with the Father. The Spirit and the Son together working, laboring on our behalf as has been, has been given to them. And so we need to understand that unique role of Christ as our mediator, not as a reluctant, frowning, angry mediator, but as a willing, loving, gracious mediator on our behalf. So that if we go to our Father, if we go to, if we go to our Father in prayer, in the name of the Son, through the power of the Spirit, we know that, that <clears throat> even if we may not end up with the request that we're making, uh, we're making at that point in time, our Lord Jesus is not saying, sitting back with crossing his arms, frowning, saying, well, I wish you would have gotten this one right. Not at all. Not at all. In a very real way, and I don't know if this is an exact way of speaking of this, but I would say it would be, I think it's accurate to say, it's comforting to know that even when we aren't praying the way we should be praying, Jesus fixes our prayers. Jesus fixes our prayers. So we may be praying wrongly, but Jesus says, you know what, Father? They're praying for this, but they don't need this. They need this. May you grant this to them. And we need to reflect, I think, brothers and sisters, on Christ's sacrifice and redemption for our sins. We need to acknowledge acknowledge our, our inability to walk in accordance with God's word and in God's will in and of ourselves and seek to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, but follow in the apostles' example that they have left for us in the power of the Spirit. Wednesday night we talked about the importance of of, of, of being and, you know, uh, making sure that, uh, you know, whatever, whatever church is that, that more than anything, we're a New Testament church. We need to be a New Testament believer. Christian, we need to follow in the example that God has given us. We need to do both of these things. We need to continue to be a New Testament church, and we need to continue to be New Testament Christians who follow the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ and the, and the example that the apostles have given us, implementing the teachings of Christ and the apostles to the power of the Spirit in our daily Christian lives and our ministries. Because we can do lots of things in general. There are lots of things we can do, but all of them are without power if Christ is not working in our midst 
and the Spirit is not working in our midst. Jesus would say it this way in the Gospel of John. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now that doesn't mean that, that you literally can't do anything apart from Christ. But Jesus' words were simply this. Listen, whatever, it, whatever you're trying to do, whatever it is that happens, whatever it is that you're, that you're wanting to take place, Look, you can, you can minister in your own strength, you can minister in your own power, but at the end of the day, it's all going to come to absolutely nothing. It's going to become bunk, trash, nothing. There was nothing last if it is done in our power. But if it, if it is Christ who is empowering us and we are walking and working in the power of Christ, it is only that which is done for the glory of Christ and in the strength of Christ and the power of Christ that will last. So let us seek to do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, the, the goodness of your, of your word. Thank you for the goodness of this time together. Thank you that, that we, have, um, we have sought and continue to seek to be faithful to, the, to what it means to be a, a New Testament uh, church and a New Testament, um, New Testament believers. Help us to, to love the word. Help us to, to, to walk in the power of the spirit and to walk in the example that the Lord Jesus and the apostles have left for us. Help us to be ultimately, help us to ultimately desire that, to love that, to seek that for the name of your great, of your great name, for the praise of your great name and for the glory of your great name, Father. Help us to do what only lasts in the power of Christ. Father, we admit that we can't do this in and of ourselves. We can't walk, we can't work, we can't do anything apart from Christ. So help us, we pray, to find our strength and authority in Christ and in Christ alone. In Jesus' name.